Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing today, huh? Yeah, it's a good day. Amen to that one. Well, good to, good to have you here with us this morning, and... Um, my name is Jim Delcam, in case you don't know me, I'm the senior pastor here, and we're in the, we're actually at the end of our first uh, four-part of Acts throughout the whole year into July next year, so today's the seventh message already in this series, can you believe that already, seventh message in this series, and we're going to break for two weeks, I told you we'll have topical studies in between it, we're going to break for two weeks after this and do a two-week go series which would challenge us to fulfill the commission of sharing of the gospel with the lost. Then we'll come back to the second seven weeks of the book of Acts after that, and we'll keep doing that as we go along covering the whole series. Now, today I want to talk about sometimes we need a push. Have you ever just needed a push in your life? Anybody besides me? Yeah, I think everybody has. Now, my first car, how many of you at least had one of these? My first car was a stick shift. Anybody ever have drive a stick shift? How many will never drive that again? <coughs> Okay, so I drove a stick shift. It was a 67 GTO, and um, and I liked it in the beginning. It was a lot of fun, but after a while, I couldn't stand driving it, and uh, and it wasn't the last stick I drove. I drove, uh, believe it or not, back in the, gosh, let's see, late 70s, I drove uh, a 73 or, I think it was a 73 Dodge van carpeting, paneling inside with a kicker stereo now. <laughs> Boy, and I had my long hair. Boy, I was happening, man, right there. In fact, I want to go back to that, okay? And, and then so, then I just said, I'm not driving stick shift. Well, no, I had a Corvette, too. That was a stick shift. So I, I had multiple stick shifts, I guess. But then I got married, got rid of all that, grew up, cut my, you know, the whole shot. And, um, and one time in 1988, my wife, um, she would buy her a new car and... Uh, and some of you know me a long time, you remember the old Mazda 626, and that was Olivia's car, and we bought it here in town, and she wanted a stick ship. I thought, why do you want a stick ship? She goes, because it's got more power. And I'm thinking, you're a married woman, okay? More power. And so, in my mind, I thought, you know, this more power car is one day going to be Jim Del Campo's more power car. So, yeah. And then in 1995, of course, we had to get the car that I never thought I'd want or drive ever in my lifetime. We got a minivan because we had kids. How many know what I'm talking about? How many are pained just to raise your hand on that one right there? So we got a minivan, and then, of course, that stick ship became, that Mazda became my car, and I'm driving a stick again. You know, it's funny because... <clears throat> Even my son Nathan hates driving stick, and his first car was a stick, and he is so, he so hated stick shift, but he had to have that car, that little little Ranger, Ford Ranger, and that one time he ran a red light, I go, why'd you run the red light? He goes, I, I'm just tired of putting my foot on the clutch. <laughs> Let me get this straight. <clears throat> so you won't go like that, okay? But she'll gladly pay money for a ticket, right? That doesn't even make sense. So, but that's what he has to learn the hard way. And so let me tell you about stick shift. In case you've never driven, there's one redeeming factor about a stick shift in a car. It's if your battery goes dead, right? That's the only redeeming. In my mind, that's the only redeeming thing in a stick shift. Because if your battery goes dead, you got to make sure you got about three people to push that car. You get inside, put it in, you know, turn your key, if you still have key or whatever. Back then, you turn your key a little bit. And then you, you put the clutch in, and they're put, you got to put in second gear, you know, because if you pop it in first, boy, you're going to fly out or something. 
and then they're pushing you and, and then somebody's gonna yell now and you pop that clutch man and boom it engages and that thing starts and you better not turn it off amen <laughs> and you guys gotta just keep going right and so that's the great thing but you could actually push a car a stick ship to kickstart that thing and get it going now let me tell you sometimes we need a kickstart and a push in our life and, and, and I think it's very important at times we do get that, and the scriptures do give us that also. What's interesting to me is this when it comes to push and kickstart. Um, <clears throat> you know, we saw the tragedy uh, last week of Hurricane Ian going over Florida, and it, it's just terrible. You wouldn't wish that on anyone at all going over Fort Myers. And, uh, but here's the thing, and we've talked about this before. I like watching the weather channel when a hurricane is coming. Anybody weird like me? <clears throat> because I like to watch that crazy weatherman or weather gal they're out there in the middle of it right and you're thinking are you insane and they're right there and the winds and you can't hear what they're saying the, you know the hurricane's 10 feet away 175 miles an hour and they're holding on to the pole right like that's going to save their life and the wind's blowing so hard and, and, and they're going like this the whole time trying to prop themselves up and pretty soon they're holding on to the pole and their legs are sideways okay it doesn't get that bad <laughs> It's bad, but not that. And the wind is blowing. It's a violent rushing wind. And every time I see that, I'm almost every time, I always think of Acts chapter 2, <clears throat> the way we began this basic series. Because in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down in power, one, the description of it was he came as a violent rushing wind. That's that whole imagery right there. So when I see that, you, we see the destructive power of it, but there's also a push power to the wind. And I, and I like the imagery, and I like that fact because the Holy Spirit, when he came down in the baptism in power, um, and then the evidence of, was speaking in tongues, when he came down, the whole idea of violent rushing wind was to blow the, the first followers of Christ out into the world and reach people for Jesus, was it not? That's what it should have done. Should have pushed them right out. And sometimes we start good on the push, but then we don't continue and we need a kickstart in our life, do we not? Now, I want you to see some. Let's go back to verse one thing because we got a lot of scripture to cover this morning. How many are okay when I cover a lot of scripture? Okay, it doesn't matter if you're okay with it or not. That's what I do. <clears throat> I just like to do that to you. Put Acts 1-8 up there. Now watch, let's rehearse this. This is way back at the beginning. This is Jesus speaking. I want you all to read it with me, all of us. One, two, three. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Does that sound like they're to spread out? You better believe they're to spread out. They're to share this gospel everywhere but they don't. They start really good. They're in Jerusalem, and it's happening, man. But then they get stuck in Jerusalem within a short period of time. And so there comes this, this, this spirit-empowered, baptizing the spirit deacon by the name of Stephen, and Stephen is gonna be used by God. It's gonna be tragic for him, but it's gonna be used to, um, to push the original first followers of Jesus Christ out to fulfill what they're supposed to fulfill, to do what they're supposed to do. 
the tragedy of his life is going to be used to kickstart, to get Christians to do what they need to do, what God said to do in the first place, what our primary mission is. So that's what we're going to look at today. Sometimes we need a push. And I think the longer we're a Christian, the more we need a push. And I know that because when I see Moses at the burning bush, when God says, now it's time to go to Egypt, does he want to go? No, but 40 years earlier, did he want to deliver the, the Israelites? Say yes. But 40 years later, he's kind of reluctant now. He's not so bold and not so desiring to do that. The longer we're a Christian, the older we get, we kind of like settle in and we don't do much anymore. And that's a tragedy because that's when we have the greatest wisdom, we understand more about God and we should know how to defend our faith. We should have the greater love of God for others. And so now God says, okay, you're stuck. So we got to get you going again because I'm a violent Russian wind going to blow you out on the world. So I got three points for you today. The first two are within the concept of, of the narrative of the event in history. And then the final one gets into the idea of sometimes we need a push, okay? But they all connect together. So here we go. If you take notes, great. If you don't follow along, bring your Bibles. We want you to learn your Bible, grow in your Bible. So point one in your notes, and that's this. They accuse Stephen of the very things they themselves do. Have you ever run into anyone like that? That's all over the place, guys. In case you say, well, I've never seen that. Really? Turn on the news. Well, I mean, all you have to do is listen to people. All they do is accuse others of the very thing that they do. It's incredible. Now, let's go back in time and let's see what they accuse because Stephen's going to stand up. He's bold because he's empowered by the Spirit of God. He's going to preach a message. Now, watch what they accuse him of. We went over this last week. But look at chapter 6, verse 11 through 14 before we get into chapter 7. Let's go back over this. It says... Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They're making stuff up towards Stephen. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. It's getting a little physical now, huh? The council is a Sanhedrin, 71 members Sanhedrin, mostly Sadducees, a few Pharisees. Verse 13, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place. Question, what's the holy place? Temple. It's the temple, that's right. And the law, whose law is that? The law of Moses. Remember those two things here. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. They never heard him say exactly that. And fixing their gaze on him, all, oh, I'm sorry, we'll stop right there. So now we see that they're accusing Stephen of one, we're despising the temple, and two, he's going to get rid of all these laws of Moses. Huh. Now, watch what Stephen does. It's brilliant. I wish we had time to go through the whole message he preaches because it's brilliant. This is when the Holy Spirit's got you, man. What comes out of your mouth is you walk away going, did I really say that? That's incredible. Now look at verse 51 of chapter 7. Watch, we're going to say, look at his quick statement, then we'll back up a bit. Verse 51, he says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised. Question, do you think that made them happy? Was that nice? 
He's not being nice at all, is he? But he's laying it out there, isn't he? he if they come at him, he's coming back at them. Never be afraid to be strong and firm, okay? Just don't make a fist, okay? Just be strong and firm. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, that's a double bonus right there, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Yikes. Watch the statement. You are doing just as your fathers did. What did he just say? He said, you're just like your ancestors. You're doing what your ancestors do because he's making a case against them. Now, let's back up and see just a little bit of what he accused them of, what the ancestors did, because this is incredible what he's saying. Back up to verse 37. We'll read 37 to 43. Are you ready? If you're not ready, I can't read. Are you ready? Okay, good. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, verse 37. <clears throat> this is Stephen speaking. This is a piece of the message. This is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. That's the Deuteronomy 18.15 statement of the prophet to come, Jesus Christ. Verse 38. This is the one who is in the congregation in the wilderness together with the angel who is speaking to him on Mount Sinai. Better yet, the angel of the Lord. That's the title for the pre-incarnate Christ. And he who was with our fathers, he received living oracles to pass on to you. <clears throat> Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him, but repudiated him, meaning they rejected him, in their hearts and turned back to Egypt. Saying to Aaron, because he's just reciting what they did at there at Mount Sinai, they said to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. For this Moses, remember Moses up on the mountain, right? Who led us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what happened to him. In other words, they think he's dead. At that time, verse 41, they made a calf and brought a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. Now, what's funny about that, if you ever go back and read Exodus 32, it says when they asked Aaron to do that, they gave him all the gold and stuff. Aaron goes, I just threw it in the fire and poof, out came this idol. That's what he says. <laughs> Verse 42. But God turned away and delivered them up to serve the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets. Watch his words here. It was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it? O house of Israel, you also took along the tabernacle of Moloch. Say Moloch. Very important word. You should always remember that one. And the star of the god Rompha. That sounds like a Spanish word, Rompha. <laughs> the images which you made to worship, I also will remove you beyond Babylon. Okay, let me break down a few things here. He tells him, you rejected just like your ancestors rejected Moses because remember they have two beefs on him number one you do not listen to Moses and you despise the temple so now he's, he's coming back he says your ancestors made a golden calf they are, your ancestors brought idols with them from Egypt as they're traveling your ancestors we even find this over in Kings in the, in the Kings province he says your ancestors sacrificed to Molech you guys know by now, you've heard me talk about Molech, you know what that is, right? If you don't know, raise your hand, I'll explain it. But if you do know, okay, I'll explain real quick. Molech was this god within the Canaanites of where they're traveling to. 
It was this God, and it was made of iron or whatever, and arms out like this, burning hot inside, and they would take babies, and they would sacrifice the babe, babies live, put them on the burning hot arms of Molech, and according to Plutarch, the Greek historian in the first century AD, they would beat the drums very, very loud so the parents could not hear their babies screaming as they're burning alive on the arms of Molech. Now, guys, I have to say what I'm going to say. We're doing this in America. It's called abortion. And you say, well, Jim, no, listen, listen. You need to listen. This is why we are eroding in America. If you think that, oh, it's not going to hurt anything, you're kidding yourself. We're eroding right now. And one of the reasons that why these nations that surround Israel, why God told Israel, take them out, destroy them all, is because they brought in this, sac this child sacrifice. And so God did something about that. And God will do something about it again because those babies in the womb are precious unto God. Amen to that one? Whether you agree with God or not, they're precious. It's what it is, okay? And I have to say this also. If you've had an abortion, I'm not here to tell you, you terrible person, maybe you felt like you had whatever the circumstances were, but understand, God forgives you. Don't do it again. But God forgives you, and your little baby is a grown-up in heaven because they go straight to heaven, and you're a follower of Christ now, all forgiven under blood, and you'll get to spend eternity with that child because our God is a redeeming God. Amen? Amen. I'm done. Let's go now. I'm good now. Yeah. Our God's good. He could take bad and turn it into good. I don't even know where I'm at. Where am I at now? Okay, so, and, and then the God, Rampha. Rampha's the other one, right? So that's the God of the planet Saturn, basically. So he said, and by the way, he, he's going against everything they accused him of. And they uh, set up, and if you read your Old Testament, they set up all these altars all over the place as they came into the land there. So Stephen says, the very thing you accuse me of it's the very thing you do. Your ancestors did it. And you accuse me of that. And so he's coming right back at these guys. And you think they're getting a little hot under the collar? Oh, they're getting a lot hot under the collar, okay? Now, point two, as we continue in this whole narrative. A godly man with a godly message is murdered for his faith. A godly man with a godly message is murdered for his faith. We're going to read verses 54 to 60, but let me say this before I read them. A godly man with a godly message is murdered for his faith. This is happening all over the world. Regularly. If you say, no, it isn't, I say, you need to get out more often. You need to read what's going on in this world. You see... We know, as a Christian, it's obvious to me, it's like they, they preach tolerance, 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 but no one's tolerant of our message. It's hypocrisy that they're not tolerant of us, but they want us to be tolerant of everything else. This is inching everywhere. Now, now, look, you know what Jesus said one day? And I hate to keep veering off script, but, you know, that's my style. But uh, <laughs> Jesus said that there'll be a day... <clears throat> that an hour is coming when anyone who, when everyone who kills you will think that they are offering service to God. 
Is that a wild statement or what? That's Jesus. I, Jimmy didn't say that. Jesus said that. They will think by killing you, they're offering service to God. That's wild. Anyway, let's, let's read here. A man, godly man with a godly message is murdered for his faith. Now watch verse 54 to 60. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Is that a happy face? No, they're getting kind of angry, aren't they? Now, but being full of the Holy Spirit, now, now we're, we're shifting to Stephen here, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. So Stephen now is allowed to look into heaven after he's preached this message and they're upset with him. He's allowed to look at, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Very important statement, verse 56. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open, open up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out. He's, he's saying this stuff, and they're listening, and they cry out with a loud voice and covered their ears. Can you imagine? Ah, they don't want to hear it. Ah, la, la, la. That's what they're doing right there. And rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, so they drag him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside the robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who will become this guy who stands there overseeing the murder of Stephen. This man will become probably the greatest Christian of all time in all of history. And this is where we first meet him. He's overseeing the murder of a Christian. It's his job. Verse 59, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep, which is another, just a slang term basically for uh, an idiom for he died. He died. Okay, let's think about this. He preaches this whole message, correct? Are they angry? They're very angry. Do they show it? Do they get loud? Yeah, do they get violent? Isn't it interesting um, that when people, um, when you share with people on a moral stance, you know, on different things, how violent and angry people get? We, you notice that, right? Yes or no? Okay, good. Why? Why do they do that? Why can't they just be grown up in dialogue? Let me tell you why. Over in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul would later write, this guy Saul, who later his name would become Paul, he would write that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, which means suppress means they push it down, which means they know it down in their gut that what you and I are saying from the word of God is true, correct? But they suppress it in unrighteousness and so when you and I bring the truth to them on moral issues all of a sudden that truth starts coming up correct and so they start you know they start you know whatever they do they get angry because it's coming up they know it's right they know we're saying right they'll never say it out loud but they get violent they get angry and they get loud because they're trying to suppress this truth that they know to be true they all know it's true they're just not going to say it 
until they commit their life to Christ and now the flow of the love of God can come through them. Amen? So, so that's what's going on here. Now, let's move on. Here are a few things from these verses. Um, he, Stephen is allowed to look into heaven. Heaven opens and he sees it. Question. I've always think this in this verse right here. How close is heaven that Stephen can see it? You ever think about that? How close is it? Is it possible it's just right here in a different dimension? I think it's highly possible. He sees it's right. Oh, I see heaven. It's right there, you know. But then he sees Jesus. Is he standing or seated? Oh, he's standing. When Jesus finished his ministry on earth, it says he sat at the right hand of the Father. Did he not? But now he's standing. That tells you something very interesting also, that Jesus is standing up for this guy who stands for the faith, and he's dying for the faith right there. That's an amazing thing. He says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Son of Man, that makes these people even angrier. Because Son of Man is a term Jesus used for himself, and that is the Daniel 7, verse 13, 14 verses, he's Messiah King. He's, that's what he's saying. And Stephen says, I see the Messiah King. I see the Son of Man. They all know the verses. The people around him who are so angry, they know the verses. They know what he's saying. And so they get crazier. And so they go into violent mode. And they drag them out of the city. And they got the stones, you know. And these, these Sanhedrin people, they're, they're both the political and religious. They're political and they are both religious. They operate within the same offices right there in, in that day and age. Now, they're killing Stephen. They're hurtling stones at him. He is dying. And what does Stephen say as he's dying? He has a conversation with God. What does he say? He says, receive my spirit and forgive them in that order. Similar to Jesus, right? Except it's reversed. Stephen said, receive my spirit and forgive them. Jesus did the same, but reversed. Father, forgive them for they know not what to do, what they do. Then a few, a little bit later, he says, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So it's a reversal. It's just an interesting little tidbit right there. And then Stephen dies. And he dies. Now, <clears throat> a godly man with a godly message is murdered for his faith. I have no hesitation saying this. We are inching that direction. Yes, we are. In America, we are inching that direction. They're, they're trying very hard to to shut preachers up to, from saying certain things are sins. They're trying so hard to make laws. And they're called secret laws. You find them first starting in Daniel. You can find them there, secret laws. But three things happen now as a result of Stephen's murder. They're real quick in your notes. Just real quick in your notes. The first thing is, for Stephen, it's graduation day. Correct? Because now he sees the glory of God. Does he not? So Stephen gets to go to heaven. It's graduation day. The second bullet point is, uh, Stephen's murder the church is pushed now that's going to be point three but the church is going to be pushed now to do something about this it's going to get kick started like a stick shift and then the third bullet point is it's salvation for Saul we will know him as Paul sometimes I'll call him Paul by accident because, but he will become Paul His salvation for Saul Saul standing there guarding the coats of the people throwing the stones killing Stephen because that's his job to make sure we kill Christians snuff out the Jesus cult Saul becoming Paul he never forgets the event of that day 
When we come back in three weeks and get back into Acts again, we're going to see Saul's conversion. But he will never forget. You can write down Acts 22 on that one. He never forgets. Now, here's the question. Stephen's dead. He's a bloody mess. Is his blood wasted? No. No. And that's point three. And this is the big point. This is, this is the one we bank on. This is the one, if you forget everything else I said, this is the one. God will do what he needs to do to get us to do what we're supposed to do. Right? Let's read that together up on the screen. Here we go. God will do what he needs to do to get us to do what we are supposed to do. Let's try that again. Didn't it feel good? Try it again. God will do what he needs to do to get us to do what we're supposed to do. Let's read it one more time for everybody at home. Here we go. Here we go. Join with me, everybody. They need to hear you now. God will do what he needs to do to get us to do what we're supposed to do. Ah, let's watch. Now watch this. This is great. Not for Stephen, but it's great, okay. Chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. Saul was in hearty agreement. Remember, Saul's the guy, the dumb of the coats. That's Saul, who'll be the, who will become the greatest Christian of all time. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. He's happy about it. Can you imagine a religious leader being happy about him? I'm glad that guy's dead. That's weird. And on that day, a great, a great persecution began against the church. Remember, church is not walls, it's people. The ecclesia were the called out ones. It began in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. So they're they bury him, they're crying over him, great guy, great deacon, spirit-filled, empowered deacon. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about, say the last words, preaching. Well, that's interesting to me. Okay. <clears throat> question is Saul going nuts yes or no yes. yeah and think about what who he's going nuts at he's going nuts against people who simply disagree with him correct think about that they disagree with me Saul so I'm going to snuff them out some things never change do they that's the way it is today he's ravaging it's an interesting word that Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, uses. It's the idea of a wild animal tearing apart his meat. Whoa. He's going nuts. Now notice in those verses what happened. What do the church people do? They what? Scatter. Question, where do they scatter to? They go from Jerusalem to Let's go back. Read it again. Verse 1. Look at the very end of verse 1. Scattered throughout the region of Judea. They're in Jerusalem. They scattered to what? Judea and Samaria. Stop. Oh, that's interesting. That sounds like Acts 1.8. Remember we read that earlier? 
Jesus said, you will receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Did you catch that? Do you catch that? So now you see the kickstart. Now you see the push for Christians to start doing what they're supposed to be doing in this world, and that is share the message of the gospel with people. Not obnoxiously, but pray for opportunity and boldness and start to share this stuff. That's our primary purpose in this world. And if we don't do it, it's hopeless out there, guys. Now, they just needed a push, didn't they? Yeah? Okay, good. So this storm of persecution erupts. Okay, listen. In your life and mine, um, there are two types of storms. There's preparing storms. We see that like um, when Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat and uh, go across, and the storm hits, right? It's a preparing storm because here comes Jesus, walk on the waters, teaching them faith and everything, to trust God, he'll get you through even when storms come. It's a preparing storm. But there's also correcting storms, are there not? All you have to do is read Jonah. Did Jonah get in a correcting storm? Oh my God, yeah. He, God says, uh, go east, young man. He goes, oh really? He goes west. He goes the exact opposite direction. It's a correcting storm. Does God let him keep going? Oh no, oh no. And then, you know, Jonah says, throw me overboard. And so they don't want it. And then finally they throw him overboard. And of course the giant fish swallows him. And uh, question, when the fish swallows him out in the Mediterranean, which way do you think the fish is swimming? Back to Israel. Because he was heading to the wild blue yonder in the Spain area. That fish heads back to Israel. See, that's a correcting storm. God's going to get me to do what I need to do. He's going to just do it. Listen, do you ever just get tired the way Acts says it later on when you read about Paul? You ever get tired of kicking against the pricks? It just gets hard. I'm just going to keep fighting God. Really? Where's it getting you? Really? You're just going to keep doing that? No, 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 no. No. Sometimes we need a push. Let me give you some stuff here as I try to. I don't even know how I'm going to end. Because I just got so pumped up about it. I, just, I have an ending, but we'll see if I use it or not. But um, sometimes we need a push. We need a kickstart. China, you know. Um, communism shut that place down in 1949. It was closed to the world. You, you couldn't go in, you couldn't go out. It was done. When it shut down in 49, uh, there was an estimate about 4 million Christians in China. About 4 million. And so um, the Christians had to go underground because of the persecution, and they're still persecuted there to this day. You have to register a house church, all that. Most churches go underground because the government wants to control everything. They will arrest pastors. You know, this, they, you don't speak against the government at all. They'll arrest you. They'll throw you in prison for the rest of your life. That's the way it is in China for Christians. You say, no, it isn't. Yeah, it really, really is. So in late 1978, China starts to open up. And um, that's like 29 years since they shut down. And so once it opened up, you know, the Christians here are wondering what happened to the church people. Did they make it? Did they survive? Amidst the shutdown, of the, nobody's in, all the persecution, going underground, did they survive? And when they opened back up 
and a lot of people started coming back in, they found eventually that the Christian church in China, in the midst of massive persecution, grew from 4 million to anywhere between 60 and 100 million. What? What? It grew? So what led to the growth? Persecution. Didn't it? You read it right here too. Now back in America, we have 1,700 pastors quitting every month in America. Back in America, for every two brand new church plants that open, we have three churches that close. Back in America, they're telling us when it comes to certain moral issues, you Christians, you need to shut up. You need to keep that to yourself. I just read a recent survey. I just couldn't believe it. It said one-third of evangelical ministers in America state, teach, that a person can work their way to God through good works. I'm thinking, what Bible are you reading? Back in America. So my question is, what's going to make us bold again? What's he going to do? Well, I know one thing is the empowerment of the Spirit of God, the baptism and power. But I hope the second one isn't needed. I hope it's not just a, a wave of persecution that's finally going to snap some of us out of our complacency. I read this quote a long time ago, and it's always resonated with me. It said, Christians, they're like tea bags. They're just no good till they get in hot water. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, it, it's true. You know, I was reading, a, I read commentaries. I, I, I'm, I like commentaries. And one commentator said this, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. I, really, I can agree. Concerning these, this text, he said, following the church in Acts is like following the blood tracks of a wounded animal. Because as you follow the church in the book of Acts, you always see blood. Blood spilled. Blood shed. Christians killed. You always see it. So, <clears throat> so what's it going to take for us? What's it going to take for us? Now, I got, I got a few minutes. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a movie guy. I know. I, I know. And one of these movies I really love, it's like about 30 years old, so I, I gave you time, <laughs> is the movie Glory. Has anyone ever seen Glory? Is that a great movie or what, man? I mean, I love everything about that movie. But there's, and I'm going to ruin the end for you. It's, you I gave you time. It, it, the, the, it's, it's based on a true story. There's these letters that Robert Gould Shaw, he was the commander of the 54th Massachusetts Black Infantry from the north, from the Union side. They came to fight against the south. And, um, and Gould, Robert Gould Shaw, he wrote these letters to his parents while they're at war. And if you've ever seen the movie, you see the credits at the end where they're like that kind of 
they're in these positions here and they're like carved on rock instead of the end credits you ever seen it if you ever go to Boston I was just by chance I saw it one time when I was in Boston I think it was the governor's mansion on the wall outside you see and those are right there that's where they got them from I thought whoo that's so cool and um, so it comes to the, near the end of the movie and it's July 1863 and they're gonna they're gonna attack Fort Wagner the confederate fort and the 54th they volunteer to go first which is a suicide mission. And it's on the beach. How do you run in sand? And the fort sits up higher. And so there came this moment where they charge the fort. And they're going, and man, here comes the bombs, and here come the bullets, and here comes everything. And they get to a spot, and they just have to dive on the sand because these guys are up there and, you know, shooting and everything else. And, and then time goes by, and now it's hitting towards evening. So they've been up there a long time. And uh, so Robert Gould Shaw, the leader, he stands up because he knows something's got to happen. We're going to all just get picked off here and die. And he, and he gets up and he, and, he, and he charged and he starts going up and they just take him down and he just, they kill him and he dies there. And then Denzel Washington plays one of the main characters in the movie. He gets up when he sees that and this is the point. I got so pumped up in this moment. And he gets up and he goes and he looks back. He goes, "Come on!" And I get pumped up just thinking about it. And, and and they and they start charging up the mountain. Once he saw Robert Gould shot dead, he goes, "Come on!" And he charges up the mountain. And when he gets up and goes, they take him up. They kill him. And when everybody saw them both dead there and what they sacrificed to take that fort, they all got up and they start charging and they breach the fort and they get in the fort and they get inside that fort and then the movie ends right there and it's such a climax of a movie this unfortunate side they never took Fort Wagner all that and they never took it but it was just like it was the catalyst of two people dying that caused everyone in that infantry in the 54th to get up and charge get up and charge and I'm thinking if, if you know me personally you sit around me you know I, I get very uh, older I get I get frustrated a lot easier now I get frustrated with the immorality in this world I get frustrated with the commercials on TV that's pushing towards my family and showing all this immorality I get frustrated with every type they're even ruining my Marvel movies pushing an agenda in there and I get frustrated but I get mostly frustrated with Christians, to be honest. I'm just being honest, okay? I try to control my emotions, but I get frustrated. It's like, what's it going to take us to charge? What's it going to take? We can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus Christ living in us. We have the greatest message. Like I said, I'm not telling you to go be obnoxious, but pray for opportunity and share your faith. What's it going to take? Is it going to take blood, persecution? What's it going to take? I hope not. I hope not. Look. <clears throat> Two last thoughts. They started great. In Jerusalem, they are preaching away. People are getting saved. But was that the only call and command of the Spirit of God? They were to spread out, take it everywhere. 
and they didn't. We're great starters, aren't we? But we gotta finish. We gotta finish. We gotta keep going with this thing. We gotta keep going all the way. Look. Um, I, I've been here 30 years. And I've been a Christian 42. And, and when I, I'm just going to share something that I rarely share. I was witness to and witness to, to come to Christ. And I rejected and rejected. But then I finally became a Christian. After five years, they talked to me. I became a Christian. And, uh, and after I was a Christian so many years, you know, you start to look around and you watch people that that you thought were these fired up people and then they just lose fire and they lose steam and this is just my feelings this is, don't take this as gospel this is my feelings and I go why if this message was so important if this gospel was so important so true why would you lose steam it doesn't make sense to me. Look, I, 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 I'm not, I've been young and I've been old and now I'm on the old side, okay? But in my mind, and there's no arrogant exaggeration, I, I want to my last dying breath, I, I want to serve God with full passion. I don't want to back off. I don't want to think, well, I've done enough now, I can cruise. I don't want any of that stuff. I want to go all the way. And that's my prayer for Christians. My wife and I pray at night. That's my prayer for Christians. Got to snap out of it. Got to snap out of it. Because there's lives on the line. We've got to get this thing going again. But too many people get stuck in Jerusalem. It's good enough. I don't need to go to Judea or Samaria. I don't need, I'm just good right here. I'm just good. Just let me just be. I'm good here. No. No. God's going to do something. He's going to do what he needs to do to get you and I to do what we're supposed to do. Correct? Yes. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. So you could do it the hard way or you could do it the easy way. It's up to you and I because we're all responsible for ourselves. But God's going to push us and I think he's pushing right now with all the upside down immoral thinking in our country that used to be right side up, but it's upside down now. It's pushing us. What are we as a church going to do? What are we going to do? Sit back like in World War II Germany and let it all just happen? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Because that's what they did. They just sat back and watched it. Of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great minister, he stood up against it. They killed him, but he stood up, and he stood up. What are we going to do? Look, I just want to close today by praying. That's all I want to do. I just want to pray. I want to pray for you, me, all of you at home, those who eventually will watch us, because we need a push. They needed a push. Every so often, we just need to get kick-started again, to be aware again of what our call is. So stand up with me and I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me.
Lord, down in my heart, in my gut, there's just things that churn in me. That we're on that point right now of erosion. And yet, we Christians, we are the light of the world. We need to go back to being a light again and not worry about being liked. We need to go back to ministering again. <laughs> some of us don't even tithe anymore we used to. We need to get some fire back in us, some passion for the scriptures, for God, for the lost. And keep that passion till we have no more breath in our body. So when we close our eyes for the last time and open them up, we're looking in the face of Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I pray that for me. I pray it for you. I pray it for those at home. We've got to wake up now. We've got to wake up now. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you've given us the greatest message. Not the most popular, but the greatest message of all time. Give us guts. Give us guts. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen, amen and Amen. Well, praise the Lord on that one. So, here we go. Repeat after me, everybody, out loud, real loud. Lord, keep me outward focused, and fill me with your Spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day. If you have a physical offering, drop it in the buckets there or the boxes on the way out. Have a great, great day. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.